بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد الحمد لله الله سبحانه وتعالى has been so kind so merciful towards us that at a time where many people are struggling due to extreme weather conditions alhamdulillah he's provided us with the means to keep ourselves warm comfortable and able to continue with life and move on otherwise in extreme conditions many people they are unable to carry out the most basic and simple tasks which we take for granted so alhamdulillah this is a ni'mah from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it might not be the most comfortable experience with the change of the weather conditions but alhamdulillah we have been provided with the means and the provisions and the blessings to take care of ourselves whether it be through the means of extra clothing the heating system that we have the means of transport that we have and everything else around alhamdulillah so we thank allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all of these uh, bounties and blessings that he subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed us to have um, so we've been speaking about unhealthy ways of thinking primarily because they have a direct impact on our faith and our iman uh, but then also it impacts our life and everything that we do as well um, in fact it impacts our behavior with ourselves our relationship with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with other people around us our family first of all and then general people as well and then it impacts our faith and our iman which is the most important and up until now we've covered two unhealthy ways of thinking um, quick reminder of what they are, who can tell me? The first one was filtering, and the second one we've been speaking about more recently, should statements. So alhamdulillah, we covered them, and I hope and pray that it was beneficial, and we've been able to um, overcome some of these unhealthy thinking patterns. Remember, this is not just for people who, you know, might be always going through anxiety or depression it's not always all of these things are not happening to them all the time all number one number two people don't end up uh, suffering from high levels of anxiety or low levels of depression because um, or they don't, it doesn't happen all of a sudden it's a gradual process and and it can happen to anyone may Allah protect us and it, it, it's, it's, it doesn't work all the time trying to deal with it when it happens. So if we are mindful, like Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullah, they emphasized, one of the Islamic scholars emphasized to be very careful and focused on your thoughts. And that's where it all stems from, because that then develops into your feelings and that develops into your actions. So we can, alhamdulillah, try and uh, look after our thoughts from beforehand. So we spoke about two of these unhealthy thinking patterns, uh, filtering and should statements. Today, inshallah, we'll move on to a third one. And the one we're going to speak about today, um, it's got a couple of different um, names. One of them, one of the names is called black and white thinking. Black and white thinking. Um, it's also known as all or nothing mentality. There's a third name given to it as well called polarized thinking. It's 
probably one of the most common ways of unhealthy thinking. Very, very common. You'll see as we speak about it. And again, we, there's tendencies of this in all of us. What does it mean? Black and white thinking. It's usually having, the most simplest way of putting it is having extreme views about either yourself, about something, an event, your faith, other people, the circumstance, where we put something in either one or the other category. So this is why it's called black and white thinking or uh, all or nothing mentality. It's either perfect or it's rubbish. Can you see? There's no room for the gray area in between. This is why it's called black and white thinking. It's either black or it's white. So I, I'm, I'm either going to love you or I'm going to hate you. You're either my best friend or my worst enemy. Can you see? And the harm of that is what? Is that reality? Is that how the world operates? Yeah, is that how, is that how dunya is? No. So we miss out on so many opportunities and it's a very rigid way of living and it can develop a lot of frustration when we have this kind of uh, mindset. And it can happen to anyone. But when a person is distressed or going through um, anxiety and going through depression, it, this can happen even more. It can be much more heightened, but it can happen to anybody. Um, there's certain words which are very common or used more. Now, these words are not bad words, but anyone going through an all or nothing mentality, black and white thinking, polarized thinking, there's certain words that feature more in your vocabulary. So to look out for it. For example, words like always. He always does this with a bit of emphasis. Or for example, the words like never. You never do this. Never. If you think about it, that's not really true. Okay? Yeah, it might have happened five, six times, but never. It's a little bit extreme. It's not real. Is that real? No, it's not real. It's impossible. It's never going to work. It always doesn't work for me. Okay, or for example, words like, it's just a total disaster. I'm a disaster. This situation's a disaster. Or for example, like the Prophet said, whoever says, man halakan nas, okay, people are just a disaster. People are messed up. Everything's just, you know, nothing's gonna work. It's all a failure. People are just really, really, really bad. Every, the whole situation's really bad. If this is our language, the Prophet said, you are the greatest disaster. Um, uh, for example, um, we're using words like ruined. I'm ruined. The situation is ruined. It's just a whole mess. That's it. It's, it's, it's just horrible. It's the worst thing ever. Worst thing ever. It's not really the worst thing ever. But like, almost everything is becoming the worst thing ever. Um, and it can work the other way as well, where a person is overpraising things as well. But generally, it's more towards the negative. So all or nothing, sometimes it happens where we kind of uh, idolize something or someone too much as well, beyond what they're supposed to be. Um, but it generally happens more towards the negative end. Let's look at some examples. 
If a mother, for example, says or thinks to herself, um, I shouted at my kids, I'm the worst mother ever. Okay? You're not the worst mother ever. Okay, now, think about it from here. If someone, I'm the worst parent ever. Now, what, what, how will that make you feel? There's going to be a fluctuation of emotions there. It's, the words are not just words. You've made this statement. It's going to make you feel a certain way. It's going to make you look at things in a certain way. And there's no regulation there in, the way, in your emotions. Because you've said it, it's going to carry with it certain feelings. And then you're going to behave in a not so good way as well. And there's a, a lot of inconsistency there. Um, my husband never cleans up after himself. He's the worst husband ever. Okay. Yeah, maybe he might have not done the dishes. He might not do it lots of times, but to use the word never, it's extreme. Right? He does do it. Normally he does do it. Okay, maybe that's something that's his task to do. Okay, but he hasn't done it on 10 occasions, 20 occasions, 100 occasions. But saying he never does it, and then saying he's the worst husband ever. If you were to sit back and think about that comment, really, he's not the worst husband ever. Right? But this is the language that with black and white thinking, we start using these kind of words. I miss Fajr today. What's the point of praying any other salah? This is like an all or nothing mentality. I have to either pray all five. I mean, that's the obligation. But once it's been missed, and this is very common, uh, shaitan plays with our minds in this way as well. He gives the waswasa. Okay, you, you didn't pray Fajr, why are you reading Quran? This is an all or nothing mentality. It doesn't have to be either you do everything or then you do nothing. In between, the scope to do a lot of things. And what happens is this, when we deal with ourselves like that, or other people like that, relationships like that as well, you can't, this is not how we can live. It's not a realistic way of living. The world isn't just black or white. Life is very up and down. There's so many ups and downs in everything, in relationships, in circumstances, and if we have this way of thinking, it's going to be very, very, we're making things very tough for ourselves. Um, so another one is um, if someone's got a diet, for example, or they're being particular. Um, so someone says, I cheated on my diet by eating two cookies. I'm going to eat the whole pack. It's very common. I'm going to eat the whole thing. What's the point? I ate two. Well, eating two is better than eating the whole packet. But we've told ourselves either I should eat none or then I'll eat the whole thing. This is all or nothing mentality. This is polarized thinking. This is seeing things black and white and not allowing any grain between. So th this is what we're speaking about. Now, black and white thinking actually starts in infancy. It's a part of human development. The early stages of a human's brain, a child, when a child is growing up, you'll be able to relate to this really well. When a child is growing up, um, infants can only have one good or one negative thought in their mind at a time. They don't have the capacity to be able to have these, uh, both of these thoughts at the same time. So for example, um, if there's a caregiver, mother or a father for a baby, if you're with the baby, the baby cries, 
for example, because the baby wants comfort. So the parent responds, you give comfort to the child. The baby cries because the baby is hungry, so you feed the child. Um, baby cries because it's wet itself, you change the child. So now the baby associates feelings of positivity, of thinking of love, of care, of affection towards this parent. So that's, that's the way the baby thinks. However, if a parent, for example, being a parent's a parent at the end of the day, right? But if the parent doesn't respond to the child's cues on crying, or for, or, or for being hungry, or just needing comfort, or needing a change, the parents neglected the child, okay? This child now cannot see the parent as loving. The, par the child is going to have a negative feeling that this is a bad person. And you'll see this in children growing up, right? Children growing up, you're dealing with your child, and as they're growing up when they're young, they'll say, oh, mommy or daddy, I love you so much. I love you from here to the moon and back. You're the best mom ever. You're the best dad ever. In the next sentence, you're the worst dad ever, right? You might take, you might take something away. You might tell them, oh, you can't go out to play now. Okay, it's raining. From being the best, you become the worst. This is because they're still developing, children's minds can have one kind of thought at a time. They can't manage both. That someone can be a good parent, but also, also they can tell you things that you might not want to hear. And that's why sometimes when an, us as adults say things in this manner, it comes across a little bit immature. Okay, because another, another person seeing you might think, how can't you see the situation? It's not all or nothing. That's how children think. And as parents, we need to be a bit more softer and more understanding towards children as well, because they can't see things the way we do. We go on this whole lecturing thing of trying to give the rational behind why you're saying yes or why you're saying no. They can't see it like that. They can't see it like that. In their developing mind, it's either everything, nothing. Have you seen children, right? The love and hate relationship they have, right? One minute, the best friends. The next minute, you break up. What, growing up, haven't you seen? You're playing with somebody. Okay, you love them to bits. You, they're your best friend. Next minute, the same, you've fallen out with them, right? How often does it happen? With adults, we're not like this, do we? Right? People do fall out with each other, but it's not like this. With kids in the playground, it's common. They, they fall out with each other and they make up and it happens 10 times in a day. Okay, I'm not playing with you. I'm not your friend. Okay, I hate you. Right? And the next minute, right, they're best friends again. So this is something which is very normal when a child is growing up. And eventually as you grow up, the child is now... Now, for example, when a child grows up, slowly, slowly, a child is able to see that my mom's gone... Right? That doesn't mean she's left me alone. She's going to come. My mom's not here, but she's going to come back and she's going to give me care and love. She's not abandoned me. Now, if a parent's consistent in the parenting, where you look after the child's needs, and then there's a level of trust built between a child and a parent, where the parent's looking after the child, and even though the parent might have left the child for five minutes, for 10 minutes, for half an hour, but then you've come back. For example, when you drop your children off to nursery for the first time, okay? All that crying and that tantrum, they're not being silly, right? A lot of parents get very cross and frustrated, thinking like, 
That's very normal. Because a child thinks they can't, they can't understand that you're going to drop them off. They don't have that level of trust yet. They can't think that far that you'll drop them off and you're going to pick them up. You're, I'm going to come, I'm going to come in one hour. In a bit, uh, you know, just going around the corner, I'm going to come back. They can't see that. But when you carry on doing that a few times and you're consistent in your behavior, the child then develops this understanding that yes, although my parents have left me, they will come back. And then that grows and then you grow out of this worry of you're going to be abandoned. However, if somebody's inconsistent in their parenting, okay, then what happens is the child doesn't actually develop that level of trust and this then spirals and it becomes worse. And this can add to having a all or nothing mentality, um, whereas normally people grow out of it, but someone might not because of the inconsistency that's there. Because the child isn't given a chance to kind of develop a pattern or a trust. It's very inconsistent. Sometimes you're there, sometimes you're not there, right? So they, they don't really know what, what mind to make up. Should I wait? Should I trust that I've been left alone and my parents are going to come back or they're not going to come back? So this is a growing child. But as adults now, why is black and white thinking or polarized thinking or all or nothing mentality not healthy? Because it's just not reality. And it can cause a lot of mixed feelings. Um, let's look at a couple of other examples. Um, if somebody says, for example, I got all C's for my test. So there's no point of me carrying on with the rest of the course. I'm just going to quit. Now getting C's, that's not, you've not failed. Okay? It's, it doesn't have to be A or it doesn't have to be failed. It can be in between as well. And that's allowing the flexibility and the reality of life to kick in. Uh, my friend didn't respond to two text messages of mine. Um, I'm done with this friendship. The worst friendship ever. This is not what you call friendship. So you're not allowing within the friendship to have any kind of flexibility. It has to be either respond to me straight away when I message or then don't respond to me at all. Not this where sometimes you respond. So, but the reality is people are busy. People have got things on. They're not always going to respond to you. Um, my boss gave me an unsatisfactory review at work. I'm going to quit immediately. So you're expecting to be like, in this scenario, a person can't take criticism or you can't take um, feedback because it's either you're perfect or then you're a failure. You don't see room in between. No one's perfect. This life isn't perfect. Only the prophets were perfect. So with a perfectionist mindset, uh, we get black and white thinking as well. And that, that becomes a bit difficult. This also leads to some people having suicidal thoughts as well. What's the point of me living? With this illness that I'm going through, my life's ended already. Has a life ended? Not really. Okay. You've outlived what the doctor said. You're still going. You don't know the future. But this is a mindset somebody can develop. What's the point of me living? I'm just a burden for the people around me. I'd better be, I'm, I would be better gone. I would be better gone. Um, so these are kind of, as growing up, you might have heard certain statements 
um, sometimes parents make as well and then we develop those ways of thinking or those comments. A lot of times it's not even, people don't think about what they're saying. Um, you know, and you, you say things like this. Now, when, when you wish that you were dead, right? I know it's an extreme way of thinking, but that does happen. People do go through it. There's two different ways of looking at it. One is a passive thought of death, and one is an active thought of death. And we need to understand the difference between the two. And on one of them, we need immediate help. If somebody has a passive thought of just, I wish I was dead, like things would have just ended, it would have been better. It's not a good thought to have. And the Prophet ﷺ advised against this. When people, the Prophet ﷺ said that you shouldn't wish for death. You shouldn't wish for death. Rather, if ever a person is pushed to, to, to a circumstance or a time in life where you're just feeling like this, feelings like this do overtake you, then what should you say? Allahumma ahyini ma kanatil hayatu khayran li. Oh Allah, keep me alive as long as life is good for me. And give me death when you think death is good, good for me. And make life uh, Make my life an, a means of increasing in goodness and make my death whenever it comes a means of uh, getting away from difficulty and harm and, uh, and uh, a raha, uh, a comfort from evil. So that is when a person has a passive thought. But if a person is actively thinking of ending their life, which is suicidal thoughts, that is a time where a person must seek immediate professional help. Don't let thoughts like that linger uh, because that's dangerous. That can be very, very detrimental and that can really go out of hand. So that is not something, that's, that's, not, that's not a simple and an easy matter. When a person has a passive thought of just, you know, that, that's different. But actively, if these ideas or thoughts are coming to your mind, it, it indicates that there's something going on and you do need someone's help. Now, we'll continue with this inshallah in the coming weeks. But for now, what are we going to do? Because we want to leave everybody with something. So very simple. All I want you to do now in this following week until next week's session is just to take notice. That's all. And that's the, probably the best thing you can do with anything anyway. Being more conscious, being more aware, being more mindful. This is... This, is the life of a Muslim anyway. This is what Islam has always asked us to do. This is the meaning of taqwa. This is the meaning of ihsan. This is the meaning of being in the state of dhikr. This is the, the meaning of, uh, of having niyyah. Um, just being mindful, conscious, aware. So take notice. Be intentional. So a lot of these things happen because we allow ourselves to be on autopilot. We just go on and say things, think things on autopilot. We just let it be. That's not the ideal way of living. So be more intentional, focused, and take notice. That's, that's all. Don't be harsh on yourself. Nothing extra to do. Throughout this week, when you speak and think, just take notice and see, do these words come up? And they might not come up all the time. Don't force yourself to say them. But wherever they do come up, just try and take notice in which moments and which scenarios do we apply these. That's it. That's the first point. That's the first place where we start. Just start taking notice. And that, that will be a lot. I don't know if people did that last in the last session where using the should statements. I don't know if you're more mindful with that. And you might see you're using them in certain 
circumstances with certain people more and if you start taking notice you can start doing something about them so everyone will do this inshallah may Allah give us the tawfiq and make it easy for us okay this week's lesson number 62 alhamdulillah okay lesson number 62 our question for this week is how was Bayt al-Maqdis the land of divine revelation so we speak about Bayt al-Maqdis being the land of the prophets the land of miracles um, and we've spoken about many other things today we're going to speak specifically about wahi divine revelation how was Bayt al-Maqdis because it's known as the land of revelation. How was it the land of revelation? What does it mean to be the land of revelation? One of the great virtues of Bayt al-Maqdis is that it is the land in which all four heavenly books have been recited and revealed as well. We know Torah, Zabur, Injil were revealed in Bayt al-Maqdis. And one ayah of the Quran was also revealed in the night of Mi'raj. Quran wasn't revealed in its entirety, but we know that all four books have been recited in that particular land. In addition to, so Torah, Zabur, Injil, Quran, and in addition to these, also the scriptures that were given to many other prophets as well. For example, the scriptures of Suhufi Ibrahima wa Musa. Quran speaks about it. And if Quran speaks about it, we have to believe in it. We have to talk about it. Suhufi Ibrahim wa Musa, the scriptures that were given to Ibrahim alayhi salam and the scriptures that were given to Musa alayhi salam. This is besides the Torah. Okay, these were small, small scriptures that were given to them. Uh, so these were also scriptures given to the prophets. Believing in the books revealed upon the prophets constitutes one of the six articles of faith. Amantu billahi wa malaikatihi then and whatever Allah has described by name, we must believe in them in the detail that we've got. So for example, we know Torah, we know the Zabur, we know the Injil, we know the Quran. So we believe in them as we know them. We know also of Suhufi Ibrahim wa Musa. And many other books Allah revealed, Allah told us He's revealed, but we don't know the details, so we believe them generally. That we say we believe in all of the books that Allah revealed to the prophets. And specifically we will say we believe in the Torah, Zabur, Injil, Quran, the Suhuf given to the Anbiya. That's how much we know that we believe them accordingly with the detail that we know. So that is one part of our belief. We have to believe in them. Although this wasn't, it's, it's Torah, maybe you might never read the Torah or the Injil that Allah revealed. But because Allah revealed them upon the prophets, we have been told about them in the Quran. It constitutes part of our, our faith and our Iman, and we must believe in them. And the Suhuf, the scriptures of Ibrahim and Musa السلام, have been referred to uh, categorically twice in the Quran. One is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna fi dhalika, no, inna fi, no, inna dhalika, no. What's, what is he at the end of Surah Al-A'la? Lafis Suhuf Al-A'la. Lafis Suhuf Al-Ula. Suhufi Ibrahim wa Musa. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning something and then saying this was mentioned in the previous scriptures and then he says in the scriptures of Ibrahim and Musa alayhi salam and then in surah wa najmi Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says am lam yunabba bima fi suhufi Musa wa Ibrahim alladhi waffa or was he not informed of that which was in the scrolls and the scriptures of Musa alayhi salam and that of Ibrahim the one who fulfilled the scholars of tafsir have gone on to mention how the Sheikh Rahmatullah in the books of Fadail also goes into detail in mentioning uh, this, this part. But um, the scholars of tafsir have mentioned that Ibrahim was given 10 scriptures or scrolls. These were very brief uh, booklets, not like the Quran or the Torah or the Injil or even the Zabur is different in that sense. These were very brief um, scriptures according to the scholars of tafsir that were given some have even given detail of what it could possibly have been like and they said that he was given 10 of these um, scriptures each one containing around if we compare it to the Quran four verses so the complete uh, entire text of the scriptures of Ibrahim salam would be equivalent to 40 verses of the Quran so it's not a detailed book, but four, uh, equivalent to 40 ayat of the Quran. Um, then we have, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the Zabur. Again, Zabur was in, in revealed in Baytul Maqdis. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَآتَيْنَا Dawuda Zabura. And we gave Dawud alayhi salam Zabur, generally translated as the Psalms. Now the Zabur, the scholars of Tafsir mentioned speaking about the Zabur, they said the Zabur contained admonition and parables. So it was more advices and more kind of examples um, to take lessons from. And the Bani Israel, they would hymn the, the, the verses of the Zabur when they would recite it. And they would say in like a hymning voice. That's what the scholars of Tafsir have mentioned. The Torah, for example, which was given to Musa salam, a significant book, Quran places a lot of significance on it. Why? Because the Quran mentions it 18 times. That's a lot. The Quran mentions the Torah 18 times. And the specifically Torah was sent down after the destruction of Fir'aun. When the Bani Israel were on their way to Baytul Maqdis, this is when they received the Torah. So again, there's a very strong link here. So they're on their way to Baytul Maqdis. Fir'aun has been destroyed and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants them this book. Injil was granted to Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam. And the main purpose of the Injil was to corroborate that which was in the Torah. After the Bani Israel, they had tampered with the Torah. The Injil came to corroborate and to testify which was already in the Torah and the Quran mentions this on a couple of occasions that this was one of the main reasons for the revelation of the Injil. Injil has been mentioned in the Quran 12 times. So Torah has been mentioned 18 times, Injil 12 times. Now the scriptures of Ibrahim salam, Suhufi Ibrahim, the scholars of Tafsir mentioned they were based on words of wisdom, Hikmah. This is what was contained in the approximate, Allah knows best, but in the approximate 40 verses, if we can say that, 
they were more based on words of wisdom and for people to take lessons from the words of wisdom. The suhuf that were given to Musa alayhi salam focused more on rulings, ahkam, and commands. The zabur contained words of hymns and praise, glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and remembrance. The Injil generally discussed morals and good character. So we've gone through the heavenly books and the scriptures and discussed the content of them. And now we come to the Quran. The Quran comes as a seal, like the Prophet there was a seal of all prophets, the final after whom no book, no Nabi is going to come. And it encompasses all of the styles of the previous books. Can you see? Those books focus more on one thing than the other. But the Quran has all of these styles uh, within it. So, for example, we said that Ibrahim salam's scriptures were more words of wisdom. The Quran has so many, for example, stories of the prophets where we can take wisdom from and take life lessons. Um, if we look at Musa salam's suhuf, they were more ahkam, injunctions, rulings. We have that in the Quran, don't we? Look at Surah An-Nisa, for example, and other surahs. Many, many, many rulings. The Quran is not just full of rulings. Then we have Zabur. Zabur contained verses which were uh, of praise and glorification. Don't we have that in the Quran? For example, we have ayat which are not only used as reciting in the Quran, but we use them as a glorification of Allah. Like when we travel, For example, verses like Some which we use as dua. These are all duas and they're also means of glorification. This is from the Quran. But the Zabur contained, like the whole, of, the whole of Zabur was this, most of it. Whereas Quran has got a bit of everything. Um, where Injil speaks about good character, morals, Quran speaks about these things as well. So can you see how beautiful Quran is? That everything that was in the previous books, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has used all of these styles uh, in the Holy Quran. This week's campaign, inshallah, to connect us to the land of Baytul Maqdis and the land of Revelation and all of these books is, whilst reciting Quran this week, I want you to look out for these different themes and see how beautiful Quran is. And the love of the Quran will increase when you do this because you'll see how Quran is encompassing all of these different styles which were found in the previous scriptures. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned, has spoken about uh, words of wisdom through the stories of the prophets and other examples that are given, parables that are given. Then you have rules and commands and injunctions, for example. Then you have words of remembrance and glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the multitude of verses that speak about morals and good character. Everybody will do this, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq. Now, inshallah, we'll give some time for the recitation of Quran. And you can practically do this now when you're reading Surah Yasin. Look at the verses and you'll be able to. Even if you don't understand Arabic, let us learn to engage with the Quran. From some of the words, you'll be able to kind of make out what it could be saying uh, and similar words that you'll see, inshallah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Um, just a quick update on what's happening on the ground in Palestine. 
So there's always great changes and the situation is escalating day by day and they generally take advantage of the festivals that come up so there is one of the festivals coming up um, Han Hanukkah is it called which they call in Arabic called Eid al-Anwar um, the festival of lights where they have the the, the, the candles that are lit on the Shama'dan in Arabic it's called I don't know what it's called in in English anybody was it yeah, so you, you must have seen that. So the, there's an attempt. Now, the thing is with their festivals is they last for seven, eight days each time. There's so many of them that come and it's not like a one day thing. So what they try to do is during those days have mass incursions into Al-Aqsa. So the preparations are already being made uh, from now. With the change in the government, what's happening is it's more the become they're, they're kind of more extreme and there's more support so it's all everything that happened is aqsa based to try and get more and more so what they've done this week if they've decided that when this comes i think it's the 12th of december it starts somewhere around there and they'll be for eight days so during those days they're going to provide free transport for anyone who wants to come and carry out an incursion into aqsa uh, with the aim of getting as many people in there. Um, so everything is based around Al-Aqsa and they're using that. Even from a political, like how would you win a political battle? Well, it, it, it all depends on your stance towards Al-Aqsa. So now with the new government that's coming, this is going to be a test for them. The test for them is going to be, let's see how is their reaction going to be towards Al-Aqsa. Um, and this will be the test for the new government that comes in as well and everything's based on that so we've seen the people that have been elected how it's been going forward how things are working so this is a, a, a this is something that we need to be mindful of and increase our concern towards al-aqsa uh, due to these things that will be happening so more duas are needed what we're doing alhamdulillah allah reward allah accept but of course it's not enough we carry on uh, doing as much as we can, encouraging other people, raising the awareness. Never think that, what is my contribution going to do? What's my attendance here going to do? You're attending here, okay? You might not be able to see it. Remember, again, this falls in all or nothing mentality, right? I either have to be going there liberating Al-Aqsa, otherwise, what's the point? No, it doesn't work like that. That's not how life is. Not everyone is gonna be there on the ground. We need people working in all areas and one of the greatest things we can do at this moment and time is number one is to raise awareness number two dua okay yes we are in a weak situation we have a very strong allah and we're very strong means and that is a great weapon of dua utilize it a lot of times we complain of situations right and we've not used the greatest advantage that we have and that is of dua we complain of situations, about circumstances, about events, about people. And then you ask, have you made dua about it? Or for that person, or for that situation? And the response is, no, I didn't really think of that. 
We've done everything else, but the, the actual thing that is within your control, we haven't done. So this should help us to increase in our dua. We all make dua, or we should be making dua, okay, as often as possible. Um, do we remember Masjid al-Aqsa, the Palestinians, the situation in our du'as? And similarly, just raising awareness, just speaking about it, being more connected, um, even if it just be by following the news as well. Those of us who can visit there, all, by all means, but that might not be in everyone's capacity to do that all the time based on a number of factors. And again, even if we do visit, Alhamdulillah, it's great and it's amazing, but you're going to be spending most of your time here. So what can we do from here? So one great thing, Alhamdulillah, which I commend everybody that's present here today is by attending here. Okay, the focus of this particular gathering is to keep us connected to Baytul Maqdis every single week. It's a unique gathering, probably the only one of its kind, not only in the whole of the UK, but probably in the major part of the world, Muslim world, where Muslims are getting together on a weekly basis with this focus of supporting the cause of Masjid al-Aqsa, keeping that thought alive, talking about it, discussing it, sharing the concern, and then going out and spreading that love and the awareness of Masjid al-Aqsa. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept everybody's attendance. And we've given the example before as well. When we were young, um, we went in Jamaat a few times, and one of our Amirs gave us this example, and it stuck with me since then. And he said, if you've got a weighing scale, back in the days, when, you, when you'd go to buy fruit, they used to have a weighing scale, right? And in the grocery shop. So what, what you, you want to buy a bag of some apples. So what they'd do, they'd get the weight, one kg, and put it on one side. And then on the other side, they'd put apples. And back in, back, back in our countries, they still have this. Okay, and if you go to some of the villages here, you'll still see this as well. So they'll put one apple, what happens? Nothing. Put another one, what happens? Nothing. Put the third one, and the balance starts moving slightly. Put the fourth one, and it goes further down. Five and then it's equal. He put six and he goes, right? And what if he, he used to tell us, what if apple number six comes and says, I did it, it was me. Right? Was it apple number six that did it? Or was it all of them together? So if Salahuddin Ayyubi comes and says, I did it, I was the liberator, was it him? It wasn't him alone. There were so many people before him. People fasted, people made etikaf, people made dua, people raised awareness. Who did his... So everyone plays a part. Every single person is significant. There is no one, no one should feel that, what can I do? Okay, how can I contribute? No, your, even your attendance here today is very powerful because we know that a time is going to come. We've been told, Baytul Maqdis will be liberated. And everyone that takes a part will get a share in it. It might not even happen in our time. When Nuruddin Zinki Rahmatullah built that magnificent member made of 16,500 pieces of wood intricately designed and put together without any glue or any nails, right? Amazing masterpiece. And we still find examples of this now. 16,500 pieces of wood carved in a very intricate way and then put together without any nails or glue, like Lego. Right? That's how this member, one of the most magnificent members in the world, was built. Right? He built this. Imagine how much money he spent on it. The experts he had to get and the engineers to actually craft that and put together. And the only reason, he did this at a time when Masjid al-Aqsa was under occupation by the Crusaders. So 88 years, no salah, 
no adhan in Masjid Al-Aqsa. At that time, he had this passion that I want to give a dedication that once Masjid Al-Aqsa is liberated, he didn't know, they were going through the harshest and most bleak period of the Muslim history. The massacres that took place at that time, 70,000 Muslims killed inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. They're going through such a severe time. But that didn't faze him, thinking, oh, what can I do? What's the point of doing anything? No, so I want to build this. And he built it. And this was almost 19 or 20 years before uh, 1187, when Salahuddin Ayyub came, or was it 1087? So he does this, and then he passes away soon after. And it was only Salahuddin Ayyub 20 years later who liberated. And then somebody told him, Nuruddin has built this magnificent member, and it was built for the sake of it being here. At the time, where did he build it? In? In Aleppo, Halab, in Syria. So then it, a two-month journey through different caravans, traveling all the way from there, arriving to Palestine, and then it got put up there, and it remained there for how long? Anybody? Just less than that. 800 and something years. 800, look, look at the power of the sincerity. 800 years, do you know what that means? Don't look at it as numbers. What does it mean? What's the function? What's the, we've reduced the function of the member now, right? So let's look at it at the reduced function. What do we use the member for? Juma khutbah. So just take that example. Something we can relate to. 800 years, how many Juma khutbahs is that? I'm asking you to do a bit of maths. We've got, uh, Mr. Ali is here now. He can help us, inshallah. Okay, that's a good start. Let's do some working out. Okay. 52 weeks in a year. Okay, so let's round it up to 40,000 Juma khutbas. That's a lot, right? That's symbolic. 40,000. That's all going to Nuruddin Zinki, by the way. And not just him, everybody who worked towards nurturing him as well. This is how he works, right? 40,000 Juma khutbas were delivered on that particular member. Until the 21st of August, 1969, when somebody came in uh, under the guise of taking pictures with kerosene petrol, threw it on there, set it alight, and it was burnt to ashes. And now you've only got a piece of it remaining in the Islamic Museum that's found in Masjid Al-Aqsa where you can see it. What you see now is a replica of that. So two weeks prior to this drastic event that took place, um, was the first time a colored photograph was taken of this member just two weeks prior to this and um, yeah so the awqaf in jordan took seven years getting experts from different parts of the world indonesia it italy and places like that and they can't they uh, they made a replica of this and what you see now is a replica of the original it's very close to the original again sixteen thousand five hundred pieces of wood made without any glue, any nails put together in this way. Um, the purpose of me sharing this is all of you are significant. You all play a part. And every action of yours, whether it be raising your hands in dua, whether you be sitting here, you praying your ishraq here, joining in the qunut, in the fajr, for example, uh, making dhikr, for example, even joining us for the breakfast, every single part plays a significant role because of your intention. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept. Now we'll do a little bit of dhikr, inshallah. After that, ishraq, two rakats you pray, the hadith mentions, 
whoever performs two rakat at this time of the day after the sun rising, you get the reward of a complete hajj and umrah. Hadith mentions dhamma, dhamma, dhamma three times. Complete hajj and umrah reward. You pray another two rakat, Allah will make all of the affairs of the rest of the day easy for you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq. Yeah, breakfast is served after Ishraq, inshallah, for everybody. So if I can request everyone to please uh, proceed upstairs after Salatul Ishraq. Recite Durr Sharif, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallam. If it helps you to concentrate and focus better, you can close your eyes. It's a personal choice. <coughs> لا إله إلا الله 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 سبحان الله والحمد لله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله والحمد لله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله والحمد لله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله والحمد لله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم 
سبحان الله والحمد لله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله 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 العظيم استغفر الله 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 الله والله 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 لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين وإلهكم إله واحد لا إله إلا هو 
الرحمن الرحيم اللهم لا أحسي ثناء عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك جز الله عنا سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ما هو أهله رضينا بالله ربا وبالإسلام دينا وبمحمد صلى الله عليه وسلم رسولا ونبيا الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لك الحمد ولا نعمة الإيمان ولك الحمد ولا نعمة الإسلام ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين O kind Allah O loving Allah O most merciful Allah O most forgiving Allah O Allah you love to forgive sins O Allah We beg you for your forgiveness O Allah O Allah grant us your forgiveness O Allah Grant us your forgiveness O Allah Forgive our sins O Allah Forgive the sins of the day O Allah Forgive the sins of the night O Allah Forgive the sins we committed knowingly O Allah Forgive all the sins O Allah We have all types of sins O Allah Sins we committed in public and private O Allah you know our sins better than we do, O oh Allah. Grant us your forgiveness, O oh Allah. We need your forgiveness, O oh Allah. Grant us your forgiveness, O oh Allah. Create the hatred of sins in our hearts, O oh Allah. Make it easy for us to obey you, O oh Allah. Make us closer to you, O oh Allah. Grant us your awareness, O oh Allah. Grant us a life of taqwa, O oh Allah. Grant us your fear, O oh Allah. Grant us your true love, O oh Allah. Increase us in our love for Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Help us to revive the sunnah in our lives, O oh Allah. Help us to revive the sunnah within our homes, O oh Allah. Help us to revive the sunnah within the community, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, grant us your love, O oh Allah. Grant us a love of Iman and Islam, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, alleviate the sufferings from the Ummah, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, help the Ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sustain the Ummah, O oh Allah. Grant guidance to the Ummah, O oh Allah. Protect the Ummah, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, maintain the sanctity of Haramain Sharifain and Masjid Al-Aqsa, O oh Allah. Protect them, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, protect the people who protect them, O oh Allah. You keep them under your special protection, O oh Allah. Grant them steadfastness, O oh Allah. Grant them resilience, O oh Allah. Grant them sabr, O oh Allah. Make them steadfast on the deen, O oh Allah. Make the iman and the Islam stronger, O oh Allah. Help them to stand in the way of the oppressors, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, put an end to the oppression, O oh Allah. Put an end to the oppression, O oh Allah. Those oppressors, O oh Allah, whom you've written guidance, O oh Allah, grant them guidance, O oh Allah. For those who, whom you haven't written guidance, O oh Allah, you deal with them in the way best you think, O oh Allah. O Allah, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked of many good things, we ask of you the same. He sought your protection from many evils, we seek your protection from the same. O Allah, make our last day our best day, O Allah. Make our final action our best action, O Allah. And when we leave this world, grant us the kalima, La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah, Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun, wa salamun ala al-mursaleen, walhamdulillahi rabbil